leadership in a way is being that anchor for people because the biggest thing in the world now is uncertainty. Welcome to the Leadership Activators podcast. I'm thrilled that you're here. If we haven't met yet, my name is Carol Issa. I'm a former sound engineer turned professional coach for leaders and entrepreneurs. I truly believe that it's so important to surround yourself with resourceful minds and it takes just one idea to create massive change in your life. With each episode, I bring you a special guest or message to help you enable the leader in you and live life on your terms. I trust you'll enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for being you. This is episode 12 and my guest today is Tom Libelt. Tom learned from a very young age how to sell and negotiate business by getting haggled by Russian vendors. His family moved from Poland to the US to escape communism and his parents took any job they could to survive. Seeing all this as a young man motivated him to never want a job and keep moving forward as an entrepreneur, a publisher, a salesman and one of the top Polish hip-hop artists. Tom spends most of his time in Chiang Mai in Thailand. He runs smart brand marketing and we market online courses. He seems like one of those guys where everything he works on turns into gold. He has published around 5000 Kindle books, built a successful SEO and online course marketing business, partnered with a Muay Thai champion, owned a coffee shop, a retail store, a record label, created a documentary and released two albums with five hits on top 10 Polish radio. All of it was bootstrapped and done with zero outside funding. Thank you so much Tom for joining me in this conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Tom, what I love about your journey is that you're constantly challenging the status quo or what is and you're looking at ways to do things differently and smarter. And the backbone of how you're driving your success and living life on your terms is how is it that you invest your time and how you value the thinking before the doing, which is usually very unusual because a lot of people in the entrepreneurial world say just go do 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 hustle hustle hustle, <laughs> and it's very interesting that for you it's a different view. I was wondering something that a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners face like a challenge is that when they're at a conference or they're getting to be introduced to someone new, um, they're not sure of how is it that they can pitch themselves or what is it that they do. So let's imagine if you were in a conference and you were introduced to someone new. I'm wondering what would your pitch sound like? What would you answer to, hey Tom, what is it that you do? I'm the guy you call when your online course is not selling. Interesting. How is it that you came up with this pitch? <laughs> well, you always have to think how to simplify, right? Yes. If you want people to remember the message, right? Yeah. So if I start talking about what I do, like, you know, I'm that guy where like, if you have an online course and then you launched it and you know, like everyone's going to be like, what? I don't even remember like something with online courses or they'll just remember he's that guy, right? Because it's, yes. you know, we're trying to narrow down. So you always want to simplify the message. And try to kind of place the benefit into it, right? Because what's the number one thing an online course creator wants from my perspective is to sell more courses, right? Because then yes. everything else follows they can. Yeah. So that's why I'm the guy that you call when your course is not selling. This can work with any business, but I just find most people overcomplicate it um, and speak in terms that they would to their peer, but not like a five-year-old. 
But if you meet someone that's not really interested and not in the field, they will not get it, right? Like if you're the, the person that's helping something with Bitcoin, you don't want to put words like blockchains and um, nods and all these different things, nodes and, you know, into the conversation because everybody's like, what? Like yeah. they might hear what a Bitcoin is, but they, they have no idea about this other stuff, right? So you always want to simplify, like I'm the guy who helps people buy their first Bitcoin or I'm the, you know, like just you always want to be in the simplest, which is the hardest thing to do sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah, in the, in the simplest way possible. And if you can keep it to a sentence, good. And if you can even take some words out. <laughs> even better. It's even, even better, right? The shorter, like if I could say what I'm doing in three words, that'd be perfect. That would be like a slogan. But that's really my thinking. Like I want to be memorable and everyone remembers it. The one thing they remember is like Tom's that online course guy. He'll help you sell them. That's, that's how people introduce me. I'm like, there you go. Yeah, well, that's amazing. Like, how is it that you are able to simplify your message and distill it in a way that it resonates with the person and the ideal client? And I get it. Yeah, it's, it's simple, but not necessarily easy. So it takes a while, uh, usually for entrepreneurs to message what is it that they're offering. Um, so when you designed your current business, smart brand marketing, what is the vision that you had in mind? Well, I thought about what a real media company would look like right so often when you buy things at a store you don't realize about the machine that's fueling everything right so like think about like a snickers bar or a mars bar right you think you're buying a mars bar but you're actually buying a brand that's owned by nestle or some other company that's fueling everything it's it's a bigger picture type thing right so smart brand marketing is the parent company that's my media portion of it where I can fuel the traffic, the audience, and I can always keep that around and, you know, funnel people through. Then underneath smart brand marketing is where my product brands lay, right? So like you'll see we market online courses or we create online courses or anything else that we put out, it's under that company, right? And the reason being is it's easier to sell it mm. if I want to without giving up my main parent company, which I can then reuse forever and ever and ever to build new things and drive the same traffic, right? So that, that was really the vision. Initially, it was more of like, let me just sell my services, which were at that moment when I created it, SEO services mm -hmm. under a different brand. It was a different company, but let me see if I can grow this traffic channel, this place where I'm always gonna be found and always can you know keep around, because you've seen it. Building an audience is not easy. Don't let anyone tell you there's a, you know, overnight magic, success. Yeah, or a magic yeah, bullet. Yeah. yeah. It, it happens after years of trying. Then you have that overnight success, but it's hard. So I often see companies being built and when an owner sells it, because, you know, it's a good strategy often, they have to rebuild the entire audience funnel because they've sold, you know, the blog and the email list and everything that went with the company. And then they're starting from scratch which is okay, but it's not the most optimal. Yes. It wasn't the easiest. It's actually a harder way to start because you're building different properties. But what's a long-term vision? That was, that was really the thought behind it. So you were looking at different steps ahead as well, not being short-sighted. You're looking at what's going to happen further down the track. Yes. In my 20s, I've done a lot of short-sighted stuff, and I've seen how that ends up every single time. You know, I either fall off a cliff or I hit a wall. And... Eventually, I thought, well, I'm either going to build this properly or I'm going to stay in this hustle mode forever, which, again, fine when you're 20, 
not so good when you're older, right? It it's becomes much less cute. Like initially, if you see someone that's 18 and ambitious and hustling, like that's it. That's where you got to be. But after the 40-year-old person or 50-year-old is still ambitious, hustling, and I'm like, what went wrong? What happened there? But it's perception too. You know, like if you look at a serial entrepreneur, right? And if I'm seeing someone again, 20, yeah, you're at the age where you should be starting a lot of different things and trying things and hustling. But again, 40, 50-year-old, why haven't you picked something and just double down? Like what happened? What's wrong? It's not, you know, like not the same thing when you see like an old serial entrepreneur and it's like, well, you just seem like someone that's jumping from one thing to the next. Like I don't take them as seriously. So that vision came around my 30s. Because I started thinking like, okay, you know, what I've done before doesn't look as good in 10 years. So I need to figure out a plan that's going to be more long-term. And then if someone asks what you're doing, I was like, well, this is my parent company and I have these and that. And it's much easier to have serious conversations with serious business people. Yeah. So you were targeting a high, like a different range of clients and you were taking all the learnings from different business experiences that you had before to see what is it that you could do differently this time to create a sustainable long-term business so it can sustain itself as opposed to up and down and done and moving to the next one. Yes. And not being controlled by anyone. And by that means any platform or circumstance or worker. And because this happens with businesses, you know, people will be like, well, my whole business is based on a Facebook group. Hmm, that doesn't sound good to me. My whole business still relies on Amazon. Doesn't sound like a good idea. If my key worker is not around, I don't know what's happening. Horrible. It's not really your business, right? There's a lot of different ways you can lose control of your business. So, that was also one of the biggest um, thoughts that I had is how do I build something that's not only sustainable, but that nobody can control and, and kind of kick me out of my own business. Cause it happened before, uh-huh. you know, like I had a Kindle business that we were kind of, it was like more of a side business, but still with Amazon problems all the time. Right. And then, you know, I've seen people with Amazon businesses getting their accounts shut down with products and things. I'm like, ridiculous. We relied heavily on SEO about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the sites that was doing really well um, just dropped overnight because of an update. I'm like, this isn't going to work. I, I can't have Google control my business. It's ridiculous. So, again, mistakes, you know, and hitting the walls falling off the cliffs. And eventually I'm like, that's it. I'm, I'm like my business now, if any of these big platforms just shut down or, or took me out, yeah, maybe 10, 15% of my business would take a hit, but I'm fine. So that was the vision. Yeah. Awesome. And a lot of entrepreneurs hop on the entrepreneurial journey because they're looking at the money side of things. So I'm wondering, what is your experience of attaching your ultimate goal to a money goal? What did it look like for you? It's, it's good and bad. So initially, you know, when I was starting out, um, I've had a lot of people say things like, hey, follow your passion, you know, have a big why and change the world. And I'm like, yeah, maybe for you, that's okay. But I just don't want to be broke mm. right? initially because, you know, my family wasn't doing well. So, yeah, initially it was attaching only money. Everyone's like, you need to do this and that and take care of your customers. I'm like, I'm just trying to make money because I don't want to be broke and I want to work for someone else. Like you do your visions, you go change the world and you know, whatever. I'm good. Not interested. So initially it was fine. It fueled me, you know? Um, 
But here's what happens. We start anchoring, you know, and I don't know if you know this concept, but I, I can explain it to the listeners. If you attach money to your business, you start valuing yourself at a certain amount, right? So for example, initially you might be like, I want to make $3,000 a month, right? That was like, I think my first, first goal back then. And what happened is I anchored my value to $3,000 a month. So when I actually hit it, anytime I went over that amount, somehow it always went back to 3,000, either sabotaged or I did something else or I stopped working or, you know, whatever. So I had to learn how to re-anchor at different amounts, right? And it's a very difficult thing to do to like raise your value mentally. And what you'll always see too is if you anchor to an amount, let's say three or $5,000, even if the business goes down, there's something happening in your head where after a few months, you'll go back to that 3,000. Like you'll always kind of be around it or that five, right? And in some ways it's good, <laughs> but then often it's a bad thing. Cause then like, well, someone's like, what if you 10 X your business? But you're like, well, it sounds good on paper, but I'm not worth $30,000 per month. And like mentally you'll just, you won't get there. It's, it, it's a skill that you also have to learn. And it's not, it's not easy. There's no, like I've done many different things and I'm getting better at it now because I know I'm so good where we're completely booked. You know, I have clients coming in. I have other income streams, and I know I'm more I'm valuable over time, right? But initially, it was very hard. It was very hard getting there. Um, and even now, if someone says like Tom, like you know, you should have a three hundred thousand dollars per month business, I'm like, yeah, sounds good on paper, but you know, it's it, I'm I'm not there yet, right? There's always the next amount, and I see people doing it. I see people making that much. Um. And I feel like, yeah, I, I should be. You're right, you know. Um, but sometimes, you know, if you create good systems, and we'll talk about this later, like your amount kind of goes up and hopefully it stays up long enough or you just get used to that amount and also re-anchors, right? You'll be like, well, I'm kind of making eight nine $9,000 a month now easily, easily. Why would I make less? doesn't make any sense, right? Um, you yeah. know, so there's different ways of doing it. But you will, as an entrepreneur, hit the anchor points. And you will see it. If you're stuck in an amount for a bit too long, you have to understand this is your brain messing with you. You're valuing yourself at a small amount. And that's when putting a money attachment to what you're doing is actually not a good thing. One more tip I can give you. And um, I read this in a book, but I you know, figure out the rest myself, is try to put an amount on how much your hour is worth right? And make it bigger than what it currently is. And what that's going to do is help you say no to the wrong things, mm -hmm. right? Because usually we're very reactive when we start a business and we're like, I'll take this client, I'll do that. And then, but then when you think about it, it's like, this person's going to be pretty annoying. They only want to pay a thousand dollars. It's going to take me like 10 hours, but my hour is worth $250 an hour. Now I'm going to lose money on this. And yeah. you'll only pick the better opportunities. Also, when someone's trying to sell you education or a coaching thing to you, it's like, well, okay, you want me to pay $2,000 for this. It's going to take eight hours. So it's actually costing me $5,000. Maybe it's not worthwhile anymore, right? Yeah. And wasting your time. You're watching a crappy movie. 
then you realize it's costing you $250 an hour and you just go sleep. I'm like, you know what? Sleep is more valuable than this. And if someone says like, why did you pay for this if you're going to sleep through it? Well, and then you tell them like, my, you know, my time is worth way more than this movie. And I'm, you know, I value my naps and, you know, it makes sense. Like you can justify a lot of things differently. So anchoring and then putting a value on your time that's worth more than it is now also helps you make better decisions. Interesting. I was about to ask you this question about valuing your time because I hear it a lot when we have conversations. And um, I'm really curious, who is it that taught you to value your time? When did you realize that it was important? I found myself in the beginning saying yes to a lot of clients that turned out to not be good clients. And I don't remember who it was, but someone recommended some book and I can't even remember. Like the book wasn't good at all, but it had this idea about putting a value on your time. And I thought, hmm. And then I heard someone else mention, make sure that value is two or three times what you're worth now. And that's going to help make a difference. So I started experimenting with it and I figured out, yeah, it does help a lot. You know, and, and makes it much easier for me to say no to not the right people and situations and opportunities. I'm like, well, yeah, it sounds good on paper, but it's less than what I'm worth. I'm good. You know, if we are very reactive and don't value our time, we often get in that situation where we're only working in the business because we say yes to everything and not on the business, right? So it kind of covers that portion of it too. Like we don't get ahead because we don't have time because we're using our time for nonsense, right? So even with delegating, right? Like if I'm doing something that works over and over, um, and we'll get into that later, um, why should I do it if I can pay someone else like one-tenth of the amount what I'm worth and then just have them do it? Yeah, so really doing what is it that you absolutely need to be doing and everything that is repeated and that can be delegated, systemize it, and create a process out of it, anyone can do it. Like you hire someone and then they can do it for it. It reminds me of uh, the E-Myth, uh, the, the, the book Great about book. Systemiz- Yeah, love that concept. There is something interesting and might sound a bit controversial here in terms of valuing your time. And like I shared earlier, in the entrepreneurial world, it's about just hustle, don't waste your time, keep doing, move forward, like just action, action, action. Interestingly for you, you value way more spending time on the thinking and then doing. So when is it for you, like when is it the time to stop thinking and start doing? What does it look like in your world? When I have complete clarity on what I need to do next, I know it's going to make sense for my business. I eliminated all the fluff that I probably won't, it's not going to make a difference, which normally I would do if I was hustling. And now it's just action, right? You know, so some things I can implement in an hour, but some things will be a longer thing, right? You know, if I, if I come to a realization that if I create a publishing schedule, you know, because if I'm building an audience, this could be a thing. And it's going to take about two hours and I need to put one newsletter out, a couple of blog posts, you know, something like that, do some podcasts. Um, it's going to be a weekly thing. Oh. And then it's one of those, well, now I'm going to be hustling, but very focused hustling for two hours until it doesn't make sense anymore. Right. So I'll reevaluate in six months and 12 months or, you know, however long I thought. Um, But that's the thing, right? If you give it a lot of thought and you come up like that, this really is the best, absolutely best thing and the minimum, right? Because you're looking at the laziest way to get ahead always. 
This is the minimum that I can do to get the best results, but it's going to take a year or two. Then you hustle and it's a marathon, right? But it's not like stupid hustling. You know, I'm not doing like things all over the place for a week. I'm like, this is just two hours every week until it doesn't make sense. That hustling, I like. The, you know, I'm going all over the place and posting, you know, um, things on social media to inspire people. I'm, I'm good. That's not going to get me clients. Nonsense. Busy work. So it's about really looking at, am I doing the actions that are going to reach the outcome that I said I was going to reach? And is it with the minimum effort and time so I can move forward faster? So what I'm hearing is that as well, there was a part of learning before. So obviously you've already done the mistakes that you don't want to repeat before you know what to do (laughs) and what not to do. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, initially, and that's what I said, that's what your 20s are for. You know, I... I really agree with, you know, people like Gary Vee for younger people. When I was in my, you know, teens and 20s, I hustled. I did so many things. I would put out hip hop albums. I had a record store. I had a coffee shop. I did sales jobs. I, you know, I did everything. Filmed a documentary, like so many things. And that's great. That's great. Get as much experience, figure out what works, what doesn't. But then there's a point where you need to stop the hustling nonsense you know, because it's not the time anymore. And you got to figure out what's the real path forward. And it doesn't have to be one thing. It could be a couple of different plays, you know, because you're, you know, you can have them complement each other. Um, but you still need to double down on one strategy and just, and just keep going with it. Because what I found, and it doesn't sound like it's the way, but it really is. When you double down on the right thing, it might take a little bit but you'll start seeing how much easier everything gets. Mm. So you're making more money. You're working less time. You have more opportunities. People want to talk to you instead of you trying to reach out to them. And you're like, well, I haven't done this before, but you, you know why you haven't done it before because you didn't know. So you don't need to rush it, but you also don't want to wait too long. You know, there, there's like that, you know, happy medium somewhere in, in your I would say 30s, you, you should kind of figure it out. You know, like I remember going to a conference once and I was invited by some speakers and it was a digital nomad conference, right? Uh-huh. Not the best crowd of people usually, but okay, you know, it's fine. And I'm sitting next to this older gentleman, I think around 50, this was in Germany. And my friend was speaking, right? So she said, I want you to kind of give me feedback on how things went. So I, I asked a few people around me, like, what do you think? Because I yeah. wanted to give her feedback. Yeah. And this guy, he had a note, one thing that he wrote down from the speech, and he said, be yourself. And I looked at him, and I was like, at 50 years old, this is what your biggest lesson is? I'm not yeah. sure if you're made out for this. Yeah. You know, it'd be different if he was like 18, and I'd be like, that's that, you got it. You completely, but again, right, it's perception, like, you know, you, yeah. so these things happen because you don't think things through and you don't double down, get serious, a lot of different reasons. But I, I, I want to stress that because if you don't, you're going to be in that same hustle mode when you're, and I've seen people in that mode and it's not a pretty sight and you just don't have the energy anymore. Like you're at the moment where you should be, you know, exiting, investing, um, enjoying your life and you're still hustling at the same mode that you were when you were 30. You know, this is for a lot of freelancers and service uh, agency owners. Um, I see this happening. It's pretty sad. 
how is it that you manage your energy? Like I can hear that you have a busy, very busy schedule and I know that you travel a lot as well. I'm not sure about it now, but before you used to travel a lot. How is it that you manage your energy? I say no to 85% of everything that comes to me. Like, this was a funny thing. I didn't even realize this, but, you know, like I was um, at a gym with my girlfriend, right? And she said, she has some, some friend said um, she's got a client that wants to do something, something, something. And then they asked my girlfriend if I would be able to do it because I'm kind of, kind of standoffish at the gym. I'm like, just let me work out. I don't want to talk about this. I'm focused, right? And the girlfriend goes, he won't even look at my stuff to help me. There's no way he's going to help you or your client. I'm sorry. And she told me this and I thought about it. I was like, yeah, that is how I go through life. And it's the best thing ever because I don't let these external things just come invade on my time. I'm like, what's it got to do with me? Like, you have to realize that sometimes making more money is the most expensive thing you could do because you're not working on your own stuff. Like, I often find this, you know, with after get through because I my application process and stuff tries to push more people out than I want in, right, for anything that I do. Um, but I, I hear people being like, you know, hey, I'm going to pay you a thousand bucks. You should coach me. And I'm just like, you know, that's actually the worst thing I could be doing with my time. Because yeah. I can use that five, six hours to build something that I can sell multiple times, create a system, a process. And what I just wasted five or six hours on is going to make me maybe $50,000, right? So the valuing your time and saying no to things, it gives you the creative time, the thinking time and creates more energy, right? Because you got to fulfill a lot of different needs that you have. Yes. Like for me, it's um, family, which would you mean? Family, girlfriend, whatever, friends, business and health, right? So these things, these three different sectors, if my calendar has anything that's not in them, it gets deleted immediately. Because if, if it's, it's not, not pushing, contributing, yeah, if it's not contributing, if it's not contributing to to better relationships and helping my family, to give me more health, which is my gym time, and that's why if someone asks me about business at the gym, I'm just like, dude, not the time right now, go away. Or the business stuff, you know. And then uh, with business, it's also very you know focused. Like, is this moving my business forward or am I just going to play in, stay in place just to make a couple extra thousand dollars? Am I just going to spin my wheels? Because that's what it is, right? I'm helping someone that's not really contributing anything other than giving more money in my bank account, which I don't really need. So this happens after you figure your stuff out though, right? But, but you need to think of what's important to you. And usually it shouldn't be more than three, four things because then you're just kind of scattering all over. We don't have that much energy. Like spreading yourself too thin. Yeah. So even with travel in my 20s, I would travel anywhere. Mm. Now I found that traveling has diminishing returns. So I have my four or five favorite spots, you know, Taipei, Warsaw, Berlin, Bangkok, different couple of different places, right? And I will go back to those all the time, like with the weather. Right? Like if it's sunny in Germany, I'll go to Germany because I know it's going to get really bad soon. So then I'll go to Thailand or I'll go, you know, so I, I'll travel that way. But getting me to move to a new spot, you have to convince me really well because what you're seeing as a nice vacation for me, I got to find a place to live. I got to find a gym. I got to find a grocery store. I got to find a coffee shop. And this is starting to sound annoying to me already. I don't want to do it. Yeah, waste of time. 
too much waste energy. Of time. Yeah. Because because what you'll realize traveling, and I did slow travel, is that you're doing the same thing over and over. In every new place, you got to find the same thing again: gym, grocery store, coffee shop, places to hang out. Yeah. You go to the next place. Yeah, scenery changes, but guess what? You still got to find the gym, the grocery store. You know. And after a while, it's just like this isn't that fun anymore. <laughs> Yeah, so it sounds to me like you're following the sun, so the weather, and it's about really relaxing and really focusing on replenishing and like energizing yourself as opposed to wasting time looking at the supermarket, the gym, the hotel, the yeah. whatever. So it's like, I know where I'm going. That's it. That's what I want now. So if I do go to a new place, it'll be just strictly vacation, couple days, probably everything paid for. I, I, if I go on vacation, I don't want to think at all, like nothing. Everything needs to be taken care of or it's not a vacation. And if I have to think about it, then it's like, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> yes. You don't want to invest your thinking in the holiday. Holiday, the whole point is not to think. <laughs> not to think, yeah. But again, I learned this later on. Initially, my holidays were just like, I'm going to explore. But then again, after I explored the same thing over and over and over, just in different environments. You start to see the yeah, pattern. I see this a pattern, right? And I've lived in so many different places that it's all sort of the same to me. You know, like wow. initially when I went to Japan and I lived there, it was this brand new, amazing, beautiful thing. Now if I go to Japan, it's like, yep, it's Japan. Mm. Right? Yeah. So that's kind of gone. And, you know, in Europe too, I stayed in so many different countries that now if I go to Europe, it's like, nah, that's Europe. Like, you know, you can't really sell me on Italy if I've stayed in like, you know, Barcelona and Lisbon and Warsaw and Prague and Berlin, like all these places, I'm like, it's, it's going to be the same thing just with Italians. I mean, it sounds to me like you're very much outcome focused, very much around houses that I can get there in the shortest amount of time. So it, it looks like you've been pretty good at developing ways to creating shortcuts like over time. And I'm wondering when was the first time if you were to go back in time that you had to create a shortcut? When I was in high school in the States, um, I found school boring. Mm. So I stopped going, pretty much. Wow. Um, I think ninth and 10th grade, I barely showed up. I just came like maybe in the morning, seen my friends, went to one class and left. I was like, this oh. is boring. So they put me in this class where they kind of um, babysat me for six months, right? Just for in the morning, just because it was you know, like legally. Um, but then what I found, there was a different uh, thing that opened up. This was around my uh, 12th grade. It was called AIS accelerated independent program, right? They were just starting it out. It was a brand new thing. So I kind of used my network, you know, um, my teachers and stuff that kind of liked me, but they just didn't know what to do with me to get me in the program. And this is what happened. They sit me in front of a computer, right? And they said, you have all of your classes on here. Um, you come to us three hours per day if you want longer. Um, once you get through all these programs, you graduate. The only other thing you need to do is fill out one essay and go to the gym class. Oh. So I'm like, okay, how is, what's the fastest way I can get this done? So in one semester, I signed up for three gym classes because I got to make up for all the grades, right? It was good, easy, except for the mile run. Like when I had to run, you know, three times, I was like, yeah, this that's, a, that's a physical effort. <laughs> There's a yeah, shortcut to it. Like, it has to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, but even on that, I had the same teacher and I told the last, on the last class, I was like, dude, just stop it. Stop this nonsense and just give me the average of what I ran the last two hours. I'm like, I'm not. And he did, which was cool. Even that, you shortcutted it. Oh my God. I shortcutted that. <laughs> but, but what I did is 
I started looking at this computer program, right? Because no one was watching me. No one was teaching me. I just had to do it. And I figured out a way to hack it. So what took a lot of people a year, or year and a half, I did in about four weeks because I, I figured out how to hack the software. So I'm done with that. The gym class is almost done. And then the assay, I, you know, I kind of did. I paid some other people to do parts of it for me. I had someone edit. So I graduate in six months. You know, three years worth of time in six months. Fast forward. Fast forward, yeah. And they paid for another six months of my college. They said, you know, since you've done it so well, we're going to, you know. So that was the first time I completely hacked the system. Instead of going to school for three years, I got it all done in six months and everyone was happy. I, I think they even put me in the newspaper as the first guy who came through this program and flying colors. And I'm like, beautiful. That's how it should be. Thinking about you now as a business owner, how is it that you are creating this space and shaping your team members to become future business owners? When it comes to my team, I make two jokes with them, which kind of helps them run. You know, I was like, you know, I was like, one day when automation is good enough, I'm going to replace all of you with robots. So with that in mind, while you still have a stable job and you know, you're not going anywhere, if I was you, I would use my extra hours to try building my own thing. And the thing is, a lot of them do. And they'll ask me like, well, Tom, I'm trying to build this, but I can't market it. And I'll sit down with them and be like, this is what I would do. Or, you know, like why uh, my manager that works for me, her husband tries to do like music lessons. And all the time she comes to me, like, how can we build this business more? We're going on YouTube, this, it's not working. I'm like, I'll help you because I want them to be business-minded and oriented and be leaders, right? So if they leave and the reason is the business is taking off, I'm like, well, can I invest in it? Yes. I don't mind. And a lot of them that they leave, they'll find me a replacement immediately. They'll be like, you, you know, they'll tell this person like, you want this boss. So I scare them in a way to motivate them. <laughs> they know I'm serious, but they know that I'm not. They know if I could actually not have any employees, be the best thing ever you know there's no easier thing because i got to talk to them and help them and stuff i was like you know so if i could of course i would i keep showing them this like a uh, mcdonald's checkout now right like where they have like the six machines yeah. and you go order stuff but you there used to be people i was like you yeah. see this is this is what i'm dreaming about i'm waiting and i you know i tell them about the singularity right when the ai gets smarter than them and i'm like that's the moment where this is all going to change do you believe that business is for everyone like being a business owner is for everyone it's not it's not. But we have a test that we use for all the new applicants that's more of a personality test and how they handle problems, um, how they're motivated, um, and how much pushback are they going to give me? Mm. Yeah. So I had one coder that's been working with me for about a year now, and it took us six months, you know, because everything else on this test was good so I, I took him on but i kept on saying stop showing me the problems stop showing me what you're doing i just want to see it solved that's it and it took us about six months for him to be comfortable because he thought that i will reward him for showing me how many things he's doing i was like i don't care i don't care if you do this in 15 minutes yeah. and i'm paying you for a week i completely don't care and you'll get extra points if you don't even tell me about it because if i don't see that it became a problem then it wasn't a problem. You did your job. If you're showing me problems, I'm kind of wondering like, well, why haven't you solved them? Why, why am I seeing these things happening? And if I find it, that's really not a good thing. So 
took about six months for kind of get on the same page about this, you know, and now he's just like, I'll handle this. I'm handling this. Or, you know, like we'll get some kind of a message from a client. He's like on it. Like, I don't even need to read the message anymore because I see it, you know, like it's done. Yeah. So it sounds to me like you, you are creating people who are self-reliant and yes. at the same time, you would be the sounding board if really they are stuck. Yeah. So that usually happens about once a year. Um, and it's where I have to coach them on how to push through these different glass ceilings that they're not seeing. Mm. Right. Like I, I have to push them forward. I'm not teaching them the skills. Like I'm like, you can learn skills. You can learn all this stuff. It's usually yeah. some other problem, something else that you're just not, maybe you don't believe in yourself. You don't think, you know, you, you have no idea what's the next thing we should be doing strategy wise. So we'll go over that. And often more than, you know, if someone asks me like, I don't know how to reach out to these new clients instead of me telling them how to do that. I will tell them, let me explain what the new strategy for the business is, what the new market looks like, and give you some examples of how I would do it, and then you deal with it, right? So I will, I will give them the whole like overview, the bird's eye view, and then it's showing them how they fit into it. And now, you know, if you can't figure it out now, maybe you're not the right person. If you're enjoying this conversation and would like to listen to the other episodes on this podcast, visit carolisa.com slash podcast or search for the Leadership Activators podcast in your favorite podcast app. What does the word leadership mean to you? Leadership in a way is being that anchor for people, right? Because the biggest thing in the world now is uncertainty. Uh And that's in business and lives, you know, so them being able to come to me with problems and often it's personal stuff too. Uh-huh. You know, me being that anchor that, you know, kind of holds it all together. That's really what a leader does. You know, I have a vision for where we're going and I help them kind of stay, you know, sane and balanced through the process. It's hard. I, I get it. I, I get it. It's, it's very difficult. And, you know, most people have problems dealing with things they don't know. And like, what are we going to do? You know, so, the one funny thing that kind of came out of this is like, you know, when things are not going great in the industry and the employees talk about that, there's always at least three or four be like, don't worry, boss has got a vision. Yeah. You know, and, and even if you don't get it now, don't worry, we'll figure it out. He, like, he's got a vision, like, just, just trust me on this. Been with him for 10 years. We figure it out. And that's all I really want, right? Yes. You know, that believe and trust that I'm, you know, I'm going to do the right thing. Which then puts more pressure on me, but I have enough thinking time to, you know, making sure I, I do the right, yeah, the right thing. You figure it out, like the next move, where is it that we're headed so that we know how to align to it? Yeah, and, you know, we have enough backup plans and income and savings that I even tell them, I was like, look, even if we don't make any money for the next three years, we're completely fine, you know? So that was a strategy we did when things were going well. So, you know, putting things like that in place, it then gives you the comfort and then comfort helps with creativity because you don't worry about it. You know, if I had to think, where's my next payroll coming to? I would probably think differently. If like, oh, I don't care. I'll figure three years. I'll figure it out. I mean, think about where you were three years ago, right? Yes. And you're like, I don't even remember that person. We wouldn't even get along. So <laughs> who's that? <laughs> yeah. Who's that? So I know like that's such a long time and it's impossible that we won't make money, even if I stumble along the way. 
So that's what I kind of recommend, you know, like when things are going well, create these backup plans and those will help you so much when the bad times come, you know, which yeah. we haven't had many of those, but we had some struggles, you know, we, we had things like, you know, we, we had to fire a big account because I told my team, like, it's wasting our time. It's too expensive for us, even though they were paying a lot. And we had to figure out different ways, like some channels stopped working for marketing. Um, you, you'll, you'll hit these walls all the time. That's, that's a part of business. What I'm hearing is that it's not about resting on your laurels. Yes, it's good for creativity and knowing that things are going well. But at the same time, you're looking ahead and seeing how is it that you can start creating even more tentacles. Let's put it this way. Yeah. Since we started talking with the octopus. So that when things are not going well, you are already prepared. Yeah, it's like don't start building an email list when you need it. Yeah, like we've um, came to a decision that an email list would be really, really important for us moving forward because we see that a lot of companies um, will treat you differently depending on how big your audience is. And the only audience you can really control is your email list, right? Hence why you wouldn't rely on platforms, which is something that you mentioned earlier, like yes. own your contacts, yeah. Own your contacts. But we, we have no need for it at the moment. We haven't had any need for it when we started it. But yeah, we're building it every single week. Mm. You see what I mean? So if an opportunity comes and they say like, you know, and I've, I've seen people ask that, like, you know, you need a minimum of five or 10,000 contacts. I'm like, well, I have the right 10,000 contacts. Not 10,000, the right 10,000 contacts. Or if you're trying to publish a book, if they don't see, you know, you have this many followers, they don't even really want to talk with you. I don't want to do any of that right now. But when I do, I want to make sure I have everything in place. And then it's like, yeah, I got it. I got it. And now I can get so much value from it. Now you got to sell me why I should even work with you, right? Because usually when you get to those points, like you don't need these people anymore. And then they start selling you and what you would normally try to convince them to. So it's, yeah, it's funny how that works. You mentioned earlier like about a book that was a very bad book and it triggered in my mind the question straight away going back to this. How is it that you choose your books and decide whether it's a good or bad book? And what would be a book that you'd recommend to our listeners to read that you absolutely love? So books are tricky, right? Yes. Because sometimes you might read a good book at the wrong time, right? It's not something that you need. Sometimes you might read a book that someone recommends, but they're at a different kind of mind state or different place than you are. Uh -huh. And again, it doesn't fit. Most of new books are just business cards, right? Or yeah. funnels to get into someone's service. Those are always useless. Yes. And what I learned is that public speakers, they need to write a book at least once a year if they want to have gigs for the next year, right? Because that's their business card. That's what gets them gigs. So when you read something like that, you, if you know why it came to be, you know, you kind of look at it the right way. Well, I do like older books, the ones that people um, often borrow ideas from, uh -huh. you know, like scientific advertise, uh, advertising or um, anything with Ogilvy, um, who was a very big marketer. Um, but I also like stuff that has new ways of thinking um, kind of put on, on that layer of the old stuff, uh -huh. right? Or something that just really resonates with me at the time. So 
as I mentioned about not wanting to have any employees, my favorite book recently has been The Company of One. It's a short book and it shows nothing but examples and ways of thinking of how you can make 500,000 or a million dollars and have maybe one employee at the most. That's a perfect business. But again, it's from where I'm coming now. Um, It depends. Like if you're thinking of starting a business, the e-myth you probably want to read because if you don't understand what an exit looks like, you might not start the right business, Mm. right? If you're going into marketing or advertising, well, scientific advertising was the book that a lot of the top agencies said you should read at least seven times before we even interview you. Well, probably makes sense for you to take a look, right? Yeah. So some of these, you know, like older, you know, if you're going through hard times and this is your first roller coaster um, in the business world, Maybe read Shoe Dog, which is the book by the Nike founder, and see what real problems look like. And then when you see your problems, you'll be like, yeah, this is not bad at all. So it's hard to recommend books without knowing, like, what is your situation? So anything that's like a blanket thing, like, hey, this book is great, probably not the best thing. So one of my friends, and he did this to me, I think, six years ago as he made his first, I think, eight or nine million. I remember I recommended the book to him and he's like, is this a hundred percent thing for me to read that's going to change my life? I was like, probably not. <laughs> and I thought about that. And I was like, yeah, anytime anyone recommends a book to me now. <laughs> is, is, is this a hundred percent thing that I need to read? Is this going to change my business or my life? If it's not even like, you know, close to being yes, I'm like, hmm. I can just as well just read something fun fiction that doesn't matter, you know, because it same thing. A lot of us read books and I've done this in my 20s where, you know, I learned it's just busy work the stuff we're not going to use. It makes us think we know more, um, but we really don't because most of the theories, if you actually try them out in real world, they don't work. So it's like being that sales guy that has 50 leads that he never calls back. And in his mind, he's like, oh, this is like $50,000. But when he actually gets around to it, he figures out that no one remembers him from these leads and he has nothing, right? It's the same type of situation, you know? It's like, well, I'm reading this for later, you know? Like when I, in 10, 15 years, when I start investing money, I'm going to read this book on stocks now so I can, you know, no. So it's about really looking at where you're at at the moment, what kind of help you need. So let's say if it's a business owner, they're going to be looking at marketing, sales, systemizing their business. So what part of their business they're looking to have information in and then say, okay, I need a book around that specific topic and this is the problem I'm trying to solve. So this would be a way to go for you then. Yeah, like if you need a mind shift change, right? Like if you don't understand like what an... um ideal business should be, then read on different business models. If you don't have a good creativity or, or problem solving, then read a book on how to make that better. Like it might be more of a bigger picture thing than just like, you know, tactics and strategies. Cause those are usually not that difficult. Uh. If you really figure out where you need to go, where you are and the resources you have, you can figure those things out. Often it's just getting that bigger picture is what's stopping you from the next step because you don't know what the next step should like. You're like, well, if I get more traffic and get these Facebook ads going, everything's going to change for me. Nothing's going to change for you. Nothing's going to change. You might make a little more money or, but you're still going to be in the same spot. Just, you know, for now, making a little more. 
it's not moving you forward. So these like tactics and strategies are good if it's a part of a bigger plan. Like I need to get the Facebook going because I need more money to then do this with it because we're going, you know, then it makes more sense, you know, because we're going to invest in this and that and, you know, build these things or I'm going to sell my time for money now so that I have the leverage to build something productized or informational or an app, right? It, it makes more sense. So I'm doing this now so I can build something scalable. So then I can stop doing this nonsense, right? There's always got to be a bigger vision than just like, hey, I want to get more clients. Really? Do you? Why? Interesting. So there's always a purpose in your perspective that needs to be attached to the action that you're taking, which is which brings us back to initially what we were talking about. There's the ultimate outcome and we're attaching all the action steps that we're taking instead of being stuck in busyness, knowing the purpose of every action and how that it's going to uh, contribute to the bigger outcome, which is the actual purpose on the why we're doing what we're doing. It's not just doing for the sake of doing. Yeah. If someone tells me they're busy all the time, I'm like, why? Do you enjoy being busy? Is that something like, you, you know, it's going to be on your gravestone? Like, he was the busiest one. I'm like, so when do you get to think? When's your thinking time? Mm. So how are you going to make this business better if all you're doing is doing nonsense all the time? Like how? Yeah, which, yeah, which brings us back to what you shared in terms of working on your business as opposed to working in your business. Yeah, I mean, you can do both, but you need to realize when you're doing it and you need to, to make time for both, right? Like yes. the, the balance should be there. There's some things you can be doing all the time. You can be the person that gets the new deals or makes new partnerships or does the publishing of things because you're the best one and has the best voice and makes the most difference for your business. If it doesn't, then stop publishing. You know, it's, it's all about the strengths, right? But anything else, it's like, well, why are you doing this? Like one example, reaching out to different podcasts is very good for us. You know, it might get us some backlinks, exposure, and it gets my voice out. But am I the one reaching out? No. But, it, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, yeah, I'm, I reached out to 10 people. I'm like, why did you do that? Why, why is it you? doesn't make any sense. Is that really the best use of your time? Like, I get it. You show up on the interview. That's you. And, and you know, it's a marathon. And you enjoy it. It brings value. But everything else around it, why are you doing it? I'm wondering if there was a 30-day challenge that you could throw to our community members, a challenge that you believe will really accelerate and fast track their journey as an entrepreneur as, and as a leader. What could that be? So if I was looking at a 30-day challenge, um, I would try to figure out one system in my marketing process that I can outsource. And there's a couple different reasons for that. You should have at least one thing that's working. And if you don't, you better sit back and start thinking about it because you really do need to have at least one. What most businesses struggle with initially is they don't have the time and money, right? So the first thing you want to get right is sales and marketing, because if you're not selling, you're not in business. You're having a crappy hobby because that's what a business is without making money. Yeah. But to get your time back, you do need to have processes in place and setting up a marketing process where someone does the 10 emails for you that you usually do or posts the right thing or sends out something to the newsletter or helps you at least with the frame around it. Right? Like if you write something, have someone else to take care of the rest of it. They put it on the blog post. They do it. Don't, don't use that extra hour and a half doing nonsense. Like you wrote it. This is the most important thing. 
Because what you want to have as quickly as possible, a couple of systems that work nonstop, and this is a marathon again, not sprints, marathon. For years and years and years, it's going to get you clients and get money in the door. Because trust me, a lot of the other problems can be solved by that. When you have money coming in and you have some time to think about things, it is a much different problem-solving atmosphere than if you're struggling with all of it. So in the next 30 days, what I would say, narrow down what you're doing, at least one thing that you're doing in marketing that's working pretty well. Create a system, outsource that, get at least an hour or two back. And you might have to come up with a couple more like that to actually have your marketing system in place. But that's going to be your first biggest step to doing that. Systemizing. Yeah, finding the one thing that is working and systemizing it and delegating it. That's so crucial. Like I said, you know, if if you're struggling with what that is, you know, if, if you find that if you email five people and that works, fine, systemize that. If there is a part of it that you need to do, then systemize all the extra steps that you don't need to do. So for example, if someone's releasing a podcast, right? And I, I see people getting some business from that. Mm-hmm. Um, you should not be doing anything else other than recording it. You're looking at at least systemizing that because now we can po- record two podcasts in the same time and hopefully get double the results. Because initially it will double. Eventually you're going to see diminishing returns. So you kind of want to stop the nonsense when you see that, right? Like if you see, and this happens for a lot of um, course creators, especially, they'll start releasing videos on YouTube. They'll get to six figures. And then they message me like, Tom, well, if I release 10 more videos per week now, when I tried, nothing else happens. Like I'm at the six figures, I can't go past it. And that's when you stop, you know, doing the same thing. Cause it's, you know, often what got you to where you want to be, that same thing will not work as well to get you to the next step. So you'll hit that point. But until then, what uh, this working, I would figure out how do I get as many YouTube videos out? And I better not be editing or publishing. Like I just want to crank out these videos, right? So that's what I mean by systems. Like it doesn't have to be the entire thing because I know some listeners will be like, well, no one else can film these YouTube videos for me. Well, yeah, but they can do all the other steps. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Tom. It was an absolute pleasure having you on this episode in this podcast. And before you go, how is it that people can reach out to you? Smartbrandmarketing.com. That's the one thing that never changes. Everything else, who knows? But Smart Brand Marketing, I'll be there. Easy to contact, easy to follow. Um, yeah, I try not to put too many gatekeepers or anything in between me and like listeners or, you know, because I, I enjoy talking to, to people. So yeah, just reach out to me. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Carol Issa, and you've been listening to the Leadership Activators podcast. And if you're loving listening to this podcast, I'd love for you to write a review and leave a comment on what you've been learning and enjoying the most. I'm looking forward to being with you again very soon in the next episode.